0: Now, if I had time to retitle this sermon, it would have become random ramblings on church foundations. It's been a bit of a rough week. I'm a little bit more unorganized than I typically like to be for these types of sermons, so it won't be as refined as I want it to be. But my prayer is that the, the material and the content of this will still be a blessing to you guys. So. Like I said, this is the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' beautiful, incredible discourse covering three chapters of Scripture. And it ends with this fitting conclusion. And Jesus actually began to land this plane, if you will, back in verse 13 with a series of contrasts to get us to the point of there's a decision for us to make that he makes ultimately clear In this passage, he starts by saying that we need to choose between the narrow gate and the wide way, the healthy and the diseased tree, the true and the false disciple. And now we have these two foundations. One as stable as a rock, one as unstable as sand. And notice how there's always two. Jesus never leaves a third option in any of these. It's all in or you're not in for these things. There's no halfway in. It's like asking a woman if she's only a little pregnant. doesn't work like that. Sister, there's a baby in you or there's not. <laughs> no such thing as a little pregnant. In the same way, there's all, you, you're not a little Christian. You are or you're not. There's no halfway in. And. With that in mind, this section that we covered can't be separated from the immediate context that we covered last week, where it says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. As we clarified, as we went through that scripture, as we contrasted it with the book of James and his teachings that that really undergird that truth, But having an authentic faith means having a faith that will change you. Having a faith that, it's not about faith versus works, it's about having a faith that works. As the same way that a strong cup of coffee ought to change you, having the Lord of all creation inside of you ought to have an effect on you. So in the same way as as all of that goes, we come to verse 24 that says in a way that kind of echoes that thought that everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Sounds familiar. Because similarly, in terms of faith and works, there's a difference between hearing and hearing and doing. I mean, I... uh, I follow Dave Ramsey as a, in his financial coaching, and it's interesting how many people say they follow him but still own credit cards. There's a disconnect there between his, his financial philosophy and the same way many people say they love Jesus, hear his word, even sit under great Bible teachers, but don't do what Jesus says. Why is that? It's because we, what we really believe will be reflected in our actions. Will be reflected in our emotions. Will be reflected in the things that really show us what we are. You know, I heard a story of, a, of an African pastor who had gotten together a prayer meeting to call on God to ask for him to send rain on the much needed land. And when the time came and everyone started coming to the, to the prayer meeting, he sent everybody home. And when asked why, he said, why did you send everybody home? He said, nobody believes God was going to send rain. Nobody brought an umbrella. (laughs) It's telling of what those people actually believed. (laughs) Your emotions and your actions determine what you really believe. And frankly, nowhere is this more... (sighs) there's a more obvious disconnect in 2021 than with these vaccine mandates for COVID-19. And I know this is a divisive issue, but there's something interesting at play here because I've noticed it's those who, if they work and they are 90% effective and they do significantly lower the risk of seriously getting out ill Why are the vaccinated people worried about getting COVID? If, If it does what it says it does, why are we fearful? Why are you worried if it does what it says it does? So either it works or it doesn't. If it works, why are we worried? If it doesn't work, why are we making people get it? Why are we considering mandating it? The debate doesn't make sense. I don't care where you stand on this issue, by the way. I don't care if you're vaccinated or not. The way we're framing this conversation doesn't make sense. So let's exercise some critical thinking here. So the point is this, you know, not to get political, but figure out what you believe and act accordingly in the things of this world and all the more so the spiritual. All the more so if Jesus is Lord of your life, He is your Savior, He has redeemed you. Our actions and our emotions ought to reflect that. So that's some food for thought for us this morning. But moving on to verse 25, it says, And the wind and the, the rains fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. Now the main point of this whole section is about how firm and how trustworthy our foundation in Christ is. You know, if, you, uh, if, you, if a home has a bad, bad foundation, it doesn't matter what you build on top of it. It doesn't matter how beautiful it looks on the outside. The whole thing is unstable. The whole thing will fall. You know, I remember before Ashley and I bought our home together, uh, we were house shopping. We had a realtor showing us a bunch of places. And we, we, we agreed to meet at one particular place. Our realtor got there first. And he comes walking out of the house. Beautiful home, by the way but he meets us at the car. We're not even out of the car yet and he says, "Turn around. We're not even going inside. The whole foundation's destroyed. They're not going to be able to give this house away." It was a beautiful house. But they couldn't but my realtor says we couldn't even give it away because of how damaged the foundation was. Nothing could be safe on it. Whatever you built on it. In the same way, we're going to have friends Family members, co-workers, people we care about that have amazing-looking lives. They're going to have beautiful homes, beautiful beautiful families, incredible careers, extremely successful. But they're not going to have the same foundation those who build their life on Christ have. And so much of their life will be unstable, unsettling. You know, fun trivia fact about myself, my wife and I actually share an anniversary with a very famous celebrity, somebody you probably all of you guys know. And um, nothing against them, but uh, this very famous celebrity just celebrated their third divorce. <laughs> when Ashley and I are still on our first. <laughs> first marriage and we're going to keep it that way but and and I I don't say that because I think I'm better than her I'm not but I say that for the specific reason that the reason why my marriage has lasted 10 years and has weathered through some horrific storms already is because we were founded on the rock because we've been building our lives our marriage our children on a biblical foundation that's all that I can boast in (laughs) it's certainly not my brilliance and wisdom but we have built our life on, and our marriage roles and responsibilities on what the Bible says. And so when we go through storms of life, when the rain falls and the wind beats against us, we have confidence that we're going to endure it. Because our founda- we, what we have built together is tightly fastened to a steadfast and movable foundation. That I will boast in. And let me tell you, those promises have served as lifelines that you hold on to tightly through those storms of life. And so here's another interesting piece of uh, trivia for you guys this morning. The sand in the Sea of Galilee region is a little bit different than the sand on the Jersey Shore. Some of you might have imagined that. Because in the hot summer months out there, when the sun is beating down on that sand in Galilee, The sand gets really hard to the point where it even looks like you might be able to build something on it. It's deceptively strong at times. And that's important because when the fall and the winter come, the sand softens. And if you built something on it, got nothing but bad news for you. And you know, many people make life choices based on how things look now, not based on what will come later, not based on how the foundation will change. Looks nice now, but who's to say what will come later? You know, the, in one sense, the most dangerous season of your life is when everything looks good, is when everything looks easy, sunny days. You know, one thing I've come to appreciate is that, you know, heavy rain doesn't usually cause leaks in your house. They reveal where they are already. They reveal where the damage is so you can fix them. So you can see where the problems are. And when there doesn't seem to be any storms, and there's no pressure up against the foundation, it looks like everything's good until things fall. You know, in the same way, when, uh, when teenagers or kids enter college these days, and they suddenly identify as atheists, you know, there's a temptation to blame the university for indoctrinating them or whatever. And my encouragement is don't do that. No. That's just the storm. It's, uh, it just revealed that that person didn't have a foundation strong enough to endure when the storms did come. But... Because the opposite is also true. In the sense of where do we find the, the fastest growing and strongest churches in the world today? In China, in Iran, in North Korea. Those are the fastest growing and strongest churches in the world today, where they have the fiercest persecution. How is that? Because the same foundation that endures and strengthens us is strengthening them. Because that, it's revealing what they are. There's no room for a half-committed Christianity out there in those places. It's all or nothing. And it's clear. And it sends a message to people. You know, you can't help but to think what would happen if that same kind of persecution came here to America. What would happen to the churches out here? What would you do? How would you act? It's a tough question. Well, if I can tell you this much, the fact that this, this church was the first church in town to reopen after the coronavirus pandemic. And that you, a lot of you guys were meeting and encouraging each other and calling one another during that time. That says a lot about you guys. That's very encouraging for me to be able to report on your behalf. That's good news. But one more unorganized thought for this morning is that when you think about this concept of building on the sand, sand is unstable. It's always moving, always being blown around in the wind. And, you know, people who build their lives on a foundation of sand like that, that's what their life looks like. They, they adapt one philosophy and uh, they, they're like, oh, this is great, I, I, I love this Eastern thought on this particular t- subject. Oh, I just got this book from Oprah and it is so beautiful and it's touched my life in such great ways. And then five years later, you don't believe either of those anymore. It's just, you get thrown around because your thought isn't anchored or fastened to anything. And, and, you know, I, I say that knowing, make no mistake, there are many people who go through a Christian phase where they half believe what you and I are proclaiming this morning. They're half, half believe in the Bible, half believe in Jesus, but they're not committed to who he is. They, in that sense, never fully possessing an authentic faith and they fall away for a time. whether our beliefs are changing or not, the truths of scripture have, fe- have been steadfast and firm for two- over 2,000 years now and have withstood the test of time. You know, the gospel and the teachings of Jesus do not change. They do not improve. Jesus himself said, it is finished. There's nothing more we can add to our faith. There's no new books that can come out that can change the course of what we believe and proclaim. And it's sad because liberal theologians keep trying to change the gospel about making it about you, the main thing being about you being a good person, making it about social justice, making it about helping the poor, good grief even about climate change of all things. And Look, there's a time and a place for all of those things. But that's not the gospel. That's not why Jesus went to the cross. That's not why Jesus died. He died to save you from your sins, to grant you and all who believe eternal life, to grant you a greater peace than any political system on this world can offer you, to grant a greater justice than anyone this side of eternity can give you. That's the truth. Because it's been said, the gospel doesn't change, only theologians do. Which, by the way, hate to embarrass you guys, but that's why I love about the Spencers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I should have warned you I was going to call you guys out. <laughs> but seriously, this is what I love about you guys. The first time you guys walked into this church, you said, wow, you guys teach the old gospel. This is our new church. I admire so much about that, and I love what that says about you guys. And my encouragement to all of us here is be like that. <laughs> you know, wherever God sends you for this season or in future seasons, go where. For lack of a better word, the old gospel is taught and proclaimed, (laughs) because there is no new gospel. We covered that in the book of Galatians together. There is no other gospel. And so, as we move towards our conclusion this morning, you know, I want to say that while the main point of this passage is to build your life entirely on the foundation that Jesus has provided, there might be areas in our lives that aren't resting on that same foundation. If we're honest. You know, while I was doing research for this message, I I discovered a hilarious yet terrifying story of this family that bought a new home only to discover that the bathroom, which had been built later, wasn't sitting on the foundation. It was just free-floating out there on the sand. So they had part of their house resting on the sand and part of it on the foundation. Now, all of you guys who are homeowners know you can't do that. And that's an expensive problem they just bought into. Because that part is going to drag, it's going to sink, and it's going to tear at the rest of the house. Having just a part of your home not resting on that foundation is doing damage to the rest of the home. And my goodness, does that not preach? Every area of our lives needs to be founded on the rock, founded on the foundation. Otherwise, the rest of us is going to be We're going to experience problems. There's no such thing as an isolated issue of sin or other areas not resting on that rock. So maybe that's you today. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you believe the gospel fully. Maybe you've repented of your sins and asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. But there's an area of your life that you've built on worldly principles. Uh... Jesus is your savior, but are you building your marriage on biblical principles? Or are you building it on the sand? Like uh, the whole rest of the world is on their philosophies. What about finances? Do do we treat our income like it all belongs to God, like the New Testament teaches? And now now I'm just a steward that's taking care of what's truly all God's. Or do I look at it as, well, I'm just going to give God a little bit here and the rest of it is mine? What about your business practices, your parenting choices, your kids' education? And how about what we do in front of a computer when we're alone? The Bible says so much about every one of those areas. What are we building our lives on? Is every area Fastened to that foundation of Christ Jesus. What a powerful word to end this sermon on. (laughs) This Sermon on the Mount. And so, how did Jesus, well, how did the people, rather, react to Jesus' teaching? (laughs) Well, if I can't say I'm surprised, verse 28 says And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You know, it's fascinating to me that Jesus is the only man to ever deliver a sermon with the same authority as the written word. How cool is that to think about? That he didn't speak with the authority of a scholar who understood what others had written. He spoke with the authority of the author himself of all scripture. And in the the, the rabbis of Jesus' time, you know, all they could do was quote what other people said. They mostly just quoted other rabbis, and whoever had the most impressive works cited page at the end of the day was considered the most prominent, borrowing from other people's authority. Jesus spoke on his own, and it was astonishing to people. And frankly, we're still astonished today when his word is read and proclaimed, aren't we? I know I am. The way it still touches our hearts. The, the, the beautiful, unparalleled ethics of his teachings. The way it speaks to our hearts, what we truly need. And not just what people want to hear. It's a beautiful thing. So when the Bible is translated into a new language to reach a new culture where the gospel is proclaimed in new areas... You know, they too are astonished at Jesus' teaching and what it does out there in the world. You know, it's a. And frankly, when the Bible is even rediscovered in churches, it has power. And I do mean that. Just because there's a reading of Scripture doesn't mean that the word is being proclaimed in that church. It's easy to just say, you know, to to do a quick reading and then for the sermon, the pastor can just ignore what just got read or even contradict it. It happens. It happens all the time in many churches. But when the word gets rediscovered in that church, people's lives are changed because it's the power is in the word, not the wittiness of the teacher. If If the power of the sermon, if the power of the pulpit is the wittiness and knowledge of the pastor... There's no power in that pulpit. But if it's the word of God being proclaimed, might as well have a nuclear power generator underneath here. There is no telling the power that can be changed through the power of God's word. And so with that in mind, I consider it such a great joy. One of my greatest pleasures this season to have that privilege, to deliver you guys the nuclear power plant that is the word of God every week here. It's truly a great joy of mine, and I'm just so excited to see what God is going to do as we continue to go through these scriptures together. Thanks be to God. Amen.